Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is Acast Recommends. Every week, we pick one of our favorite shows. And this is one we think you're going to love. Hello, I'm Jeff Lloyd, and I recently had a baby with Ed Miliband. A baby podcast, that is. It's a spin-off of our show, Reasons to be Cheerful. It's called Cheerful Book Club, and it's conversations with some of the best writers working in the world today. You'll really enjoy our chats with people like US broadcasting legend Rachel Maddow, literary giant Ian McEwan, and the big short and moneyball author Michael Lewis. Feed your brain with ideas from the Cheerful Book Club. You'll find us on the excellent Acast app or wherever else you get your podcasts. Acast is home to the biggest podcasts from Ireland and around the world. Subscribe to this show and hundreds more now via Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. And you know, we all know people have had cancer, don't we? You know, everybody knows someone who's died from cancer, had cancer, is on cancer. And it's a horrific disease, horrific. Those were the words of Sir Bobby Robson as he launched his foundation, which has gone on to cement his legacy outside of football. To many, he personified everything positive about the beautiful game. From his wit and humour to his undoubted skills in the dugout, Sir Bobby has quite rightly gone down as one of the greatest English managers the game has ever seen. But off the pitch, he fought a battle that many, if not most of us, will experience at some point in our lives. Over 60 million people will die in their lifetime from cancer. That's one in every three. So one in every three people in this country die ultimately from cancer. Having been told that his fifth fight against the disease would be his final, he launched the Sir Bobby Robson Foundation in 2008. This is the story of his legacy as told by those who have helped build it. So this is the football corridor in the Northern Centre for Cancer Care at the Freeman Hospital. And this, um, it's called the football, you can see why it's called the football corridor, because it's covered in photos of football. Um, and uh, this is the corridor that leads to the Sir Bobby Robson Cancer Trials Research Centre. We start our story here with Liz Luff. She's the woman who's headed up the PR for the foundation. We've got pictures on the wall, lots and lots of pictures of Sir Bobby, and we've got pictures of Sir Bobby from his football days, but also from the launch of the Sir Bobby Robson Foundation, and uh, there's a lovely photograph here. So this is 2008, March 2008, we've got Jim Rosenthal, Bill, uh, Bob Wilson, Professor Ruth Brummer, Des Lynham and Sir Bobby, um, and that was the launch of the foundation, that was, that was the day it all began. 
Um, and picture here of the Sir Bobby Robson Trophy, which was uh, July 2009, and that was Sir Bobby's last public appearance. In fact, it was the last time that he left the left the house, and that was for a Sir Bobby Foundation event, fundraising event. So this this is the the door that leads into the Sir Bobby Robson Centre, and you can see the plaque on the wall here. Um, Sir Bobby Robson Cancer Trials Research Centre opened by Sir Bobby Robson on the 20th of February 2009 and he was so proud that the centre carried his name. He was just chuffed to bits with that. Now you walk through the main entrance and above the reception desk is a picture of Sir Bobby Robson. Um, it's one that is probably well known to everybody. He's in a, a light cardigan and he has his arms folded with a beaming smile. It is, I believe, Lady Elsie's most favourite picture she loves it she says he's smiling with his eyes and it's a lovely warm picture and that really sums up the center i mean it should be a depressing place crikey it's somewhere where people receive treatment for cancer it shouldn't it's you know but it's not it's got a lovely warm supportive feel to it one thing you notice on this board here what is 20 21 pictures is it he's Mm. smiling (laughs) <laughs> and, and all of them, yeah. that one number 11 there. Well, that's the opening of the Sir Bobby Robson Centre. And uh, the reason he's pulling that happy face <laughs> is because he's just walked in and it was a couple of days before his birthday, so we had a birthday cake and everybody had to sing happy birthday for him and he wasn't expect that was a surprise, so that's why he looks like that. Happy What from a personal perspective? Can you see how many people were there? I mean, it was chock, chock, chock full, and somebody had to start the singing. So were, I'm standing there, and nobody was singing. Nobody would let me shout. Ah, then everybody's trying. Oh, it's awful. Oh, I can't sing. It was dreadful. It was, but luckily everyone joined in, and so we loved that. Yeah, it was. That was a special day. I think there was slight horror when we lit the candle on the cake. We just were hoping the fire. Um, alarms were not where we had the cake for the new unit because we would have been in trouble. So I'm Ruth Plummer, I'm the director of the Sir Bobby Robson Cancer Trials Research Centre. I'm a consultant at the Northern Centre for Cancer Care and treat patients here but I'm also um, a clinical professor over at um, the Northern Institute for Cancer Research at Newcastle University. We're sitting in the office here of Professor Ruth Plummer um, and it gives me a good chance to describe what's here because it really is kind of a journey of the foundation from the start right up to the present day there's no grand old desk there's no big window because on the other side of that wall is the football corridor but what there is um is lots of memorabilia on the shelves behind her desk um with pictures of sir by ross and there's thank you cards from loved ones of patients who have been through the trials here and there's checks which mark various fundraising targets reached over the past 11 years you've got the very first one five hundred thousand pounds which was the initial target um, which came within six or seven weeks and there's various other checks across the years which are up there on the top shelf and there's pictures of sir boy robson with professor ruth Plummer and her team and one in particular stands out it's a signed uh, photograph by sir bobby which simply asks what have you got me into and really, that is what we're going to ask Professor Ruth Pomer right now. 
Well, it came out of a we when he offered to set up the foundation, and over a six-week period, we had a lot of meetings because we had to, he and I both had to learn about charity law and understand what was involved in setting up a charity. And there was one meeting where, and we had huge amounts of friend um, help from you know the trust, the university, his his friends and colleagues who came together as a group to do this and advise pro bono from lawyers on how you might do this but there was one long meeting where he just looked at me across the table and said why did you ask what have you got me into but it was the first time when he'd announced the foundation and I got asked to do an interview and I'd never done one in my life I said to him now I can say to you why did you ask so that's where the joke came from because that's a picture I think when when he was handing over the check and that's the why did you ask and he always maintained that he was glad he did but we had a a 10th anniversary thing at, at the Copthorne. Um, Mark Robson said at that, um, he said, I've always maintained that this is the woman whose fault it is. And that's what his dad said. So let's go back to the start when you first approached Sir Bobby. Um, I think, it, from what I understand, it was, do you know anyone that can help? And then it quickly turned into... Yes, yeah, so at, at, at the time, my, my um, long-term mentor who trained me, he and I were starting to fundraise for the unit together. And he said to me, do you think you could ask him if he knows any business contacts? And we were looking for donations and piecemeal, gradually trying to build up the funds. So I did say to Sir Bobby, that's what we were doing. And did he know anybody you know, within his contacts in Newcastle that he might feel that we could then approach and he said put something in writing about two pages and I'll have a think about it so I did and it must have been a week or so later doing that switch again that we talked about um, I popped in he was having his treatment and he said oh sit down he said I need to talk to you and he said Lady Elsie and I have agreed that we're going to do this for you we're setting up a foundation and we'll raise, we're going to try, because he thought it was, a, it was going to be difficult, he said, we're going to try and raise you half a million pounds. He was really nervous. I mean, I know it sounds ridiculous, because Sir Bobby Crikey, he faced up to goodness knows what kind of media scrums and trials and tribulations with England, and he was manager at Barcelona, quite apart from you know, Newcastle. But he, he was genuinely nervous about sitting in front of the media and saying, you know, because this was him asking for help basically and, and using his, his name and he, w- he had to be persuaded to use his name with the foundation because um, he wasn't egotistical like that you know but we you know he, he, so it was a big thing for him so he was really nervous and he thought well, you know and we uh, we all thought yes we're going to get the money but he you know had had some reservations and it came in in something seven or eight weeks we raised that first half a million pounds. Well it was just incredible because that meant we were going to get the Bobby Robson unit hence the big check that um, it's it, it it was in the old unit it used to hang on the clock because we were so proud of it but it's now gravitated to my top shelf but I remember him we meeting in the car park one day and walking into the hospital together back at the general site and he said you know to me he says we've got to do this he said you've got a great team he said but you really do need a new stadium and we did because we outgrown the space that we'd been generously given by the hospital to start up the unit and that meant our team where you've been sitting here um you know all these the staff who were helping do all the paperwork all the regulatory stuff to enable us to run staff they were in a porter cabin in the car park and we were he met me because i was popping across in the rain in Newcastle as ever to, between the, the clinical bit and our, where we had to have the staff and so that's you know that was his take on it a new stadium and keep a great team going. With the initial fundraising target met no one was quite sure what would happen next 
but the charity continued to receive donations by the general public. We fast forward to the 20th of February 2009, just five months before Sir Bobby's death. That week had already seen him mark his 76th birthday and he would now stand in front of the world's media to open the trial centre. It was an emotional day for him and his family as his younger son Mark recounts what stood out. Uh, his sense of humour, I think, uh, his strength to be there and his willingness to, to give a speech, and he clearly wasn't well, but but he never he never showed his um, his unwellness, if you like, uh, because he was such a strong person. Um, but I think you, you look at that the little talk he gave, and it was it was full of humour and smiles and, and, and laughing in the background, and um, so it was a it was a great start, really. I think um, people probably saw Dad then and thought, gosh, you know, when someone's not well, but he. He didn't worry about that. He he just wanted to um, you know get get things going, get the foundation going, up and running, and and, and help other people. It, that was also the speech that he he was very clear with me. He was not giving. He was not well enough to give it. And even though I tried teasing him on the morning when we first met up, he said, "I have said to you, I you are opening the unit. I'm just here because I'm not happy to do it." And, he, and then he stood up. And he reached in his pocket and I actually said to him, is this the speech you're not going to give? And he said, yeah, this is the speech I'm not giving. We've also had a lot of people, ordinary people, Joe public, who have sent me fivers, tennis, 15 pounds, check for 25 pounds, a check for 75 pounds, a check for 150 pounds. We want to go a check for a thousand pounds from people I don't know. So they've contributed this. Uh, found it, uh, to this uh, new building. Not, not me, I just used your money to put away children. I did have something I was going to say, but I was hoping that he was going to do this again. And yeah, it was, it was a great day. And so, so I'm very grateful for everybody, and I mean everybody, who's actually put money into my foundation. I'd like to thank you all for your generosity, for your kindness, for your thoughtfulness, the word that I like to use is I thank you for your faithfulness because you've been very faithful, not just to me, I'm not egotistical, but to the foundation and what it stands for. And that was the, the word he used, faithfulness, and I love that. And I think that we've been very lucky in the foundation and here we are 11 years later and 10 years after Sir Bobby died and people are still being faithful, you know, they're still thinking of Sir Bobby, they're still thinking of the foundation most importantly, are still thinking of other people who are facing cancer. By that uh, commitment, you've given us the chance to uh, provide for them in the northeast a wonderful, state-of-the-art facility. As, as Led Sullivan said, you know, not only the best in England, but one of the best in England. Now, isn't that a fantastic achievement eh, from the people of the northeast? That's got people up to Carlisle, down to Whitehaven, down to Middlesbrough, all that huge area. Most people who suffer from cancer will benefit from this facility, and isn't that worth it? I promise you that, because Ruth and my wife and I are the trustees of this foundation, we will make sure that we don't waste one penny of your money, and we, we will guarantee you that we will do the right thing with the money that you give us, people. And you know, we all know people who've had cancer, don't we? You know, everybody knows someone who's died from cancer, had cancer, is on cancer. And it's a horrific disease, horrific. I think he finishes saying, 
something like I, I wish this center and and the people in it all the luck in the world and it that that the way that he said that with such sincerity and such finality i i don't know i don't know how else to put it it was because he he, he knew he wasn't going to be here he was he was a, he, he knew he had a limited time at that point and for him to have done all of the things that he did with this foundation and to leave us such a legacy through this foundation and to do it all when he was so ill, when he could have been forgiven for just sitting back and enjoying his grandkids and enjoying the, the, you know, the end of his life, to have done all of that, wow, I mean, that is incredible. I'm sure with time and patience and money, and that's what it's about, you can't do the same thing that money, you can't buy a football team with that money. Uh, so it is about money, so all your contributions, large or small, it doesn't matter. We, we, won't, we won't abuse it, and we'll, we'll try and, Ruth, won't we? Try and find a solution to a horrific disease which attacks so many families. And for a man who'd managed, you know, so many stars and he'd gained the respect of everyone in the game, and yet his face, when he walked through the door and he saw the cake and he saw all these famous faces there, Capello, Alan Shearer, you know, right. Even now, when you watch the footage, about there's a photograph on the on the corridor yeah. outside as well. I mean, it's a, it's a wonderful memory to have, isn't it? Yeah, it was it was great, and it was lovely to be able to do that because, you know, he he was he was less well then, and he knew it as well. He he came in. I remember Professor Frummer had sort of spoken to him about you know, yeah, don't don't speak for too long. Not not because she didn't want to hear him, but because you know we didn't want to overtire him, and he was. Um, he was he was poorly, very poorly at that point, and he just went on and on and on. And it was captivating, you know. And at one point, I think he looked across at Alan Shearer and he said, "This is going on like one of my team talks, isn't it?" And it was a really lovely moment. Yeah, I mean, it was one of his team talks that went on for ages, <laughs> in uh, in a in a good way. That's the voice of Alan Shearer, Newcastle United's record goal scorer and a patron for the Sir Bobby Robson Foundation. He knew what he was saying. Um, he knew what he uh, what he wanted, but I think even himself wouldn't have thought that it could achieve what it's achieving, um, and will continue to get bigger and uh, bigger and better. So it's got some great people involved, and um, I know the great man would be very proud of what he's not only left behind, but what's continuing to happen. Um, the the money's that they've raised has been absolutely staggering. Um, so I know they started off in the hope they could raise half a million, I think it was, to begin with. But, um, I mean, the funds that they've raised since have just been phenomenal. And it's a testament to the hard work that all the uh, all the staff and all the people that are involved that, uh, that work on it. When we look, you know, look back on that now, but it was an incredibly, incredibly important staging post. Uh, so my name is George Culkin. I'm a football writer uh, for The Athletic and I'm a patron of the Sir Bobby Robson Foundation. I think the thing that sort of really struck home, you know, that day, you know, as you say, Capello was there, the England manager at the time, and I think I think Bobby was sort of blown away by, you know, by that response too, that the response within football, because um, to have sort of that calibre of football person there was, a, I think, was a reminder to him that he wasn't forgotten, you know, and um, and then he kind of coupled that with the with the kind of extraordinary human response that he got um, just from, you know, from football fans to whom he meant something. He would shove a tenner into his hand or 20 quid into his hand when he was out and about. And then suddenly at the end of that, you've got this facility. And, you know, it's, it's a facility which is, 
changing lives and helping to save lives. Um, and, you know, that, I think that felt like the culmination of something. And it just must be great for yourself, Lady Elsie, to see Sir Bobby's name on, on, on that sort of kind of treatment and... and you know, that's his legacy and it's continuing, continuing to grow. Yeah, and it's, as I say, it's that cutting-edge stuff. It's, it's you know, it's, it's world-class research, but it's also very human stuff. It's also very tactile stuff. It's nursing positions, it's sensory rooms, it's things that make uh, the lives of cancer patients more, um, you know, uh, easier, um, if that's the right word. And, um, you know, the important thing is, is that because we're a charity through the NHS, every single penny that gets raised goes goes to the fight against cancer. And that's you know that's not having a go at other charities at all who do incredible work. But we don't have any professional fundraisers. It is a family charity. It's a, it's we're all part of the same team. So um, you know that is a kind of that, you know I find that a very powerful thought that sort of every every penny and of every pound that gets raised goes directly <coughs> directly to. To, f- to fight against cancer, it's it's the whole it's the whole thing. It's not just it's not just one part of it. It's it's the treatment, it's the research, it's um, making people's lives more more comfortable, bringing the whole thing together. I went with um, with Alan Shearer and, and a few members of the um, you know other patrons and trustees of the foundation into the unit. This is Steve Harper. He played in goal for Sir Boy Robson at Newcastle United and was appointed a patron of the foundation in 2017. The work that's going on in there is, is very, very special. And we've, I mean, to have it to have it on our doorstep is, is incredible. But I think the thing Sir Bobby would be incredibly proud of, it's not just for the people of Newcastle, it's for the people in Sunderland, from Middlesbrough, from Scotland. People travel from across Europe to access this wonderful facility on our doorstep. And that was the reach he had, so I think it's only fitting that his legacy... Um, provide something for people uh, uh, across the wider world. What makes this unit different from lots of other units in the hospital is that we have the laboratory here, which is obviously because the cancer uh, drugs here are trial drugs, which is um, so we, we, we need the laboratory here. And when we opened um, the centre and everything was literally brand new at that point, we had uh, we had the buffet because we had a few people here, obviously, with a special occasion. And we had Fabio Capello, the England manager at the time, so he was eating sausage rolls in the in the laboratory where we had the buffet. It was it was it was wonderful, but a bit surreal at the same time. It was it was a, a, a very special day. It was exciting but very odd at the same time. So now we've heard about the beginning of the foundation, but what exactly goes on behind the doors of the unit? What we do is is work out dose and side effects of new cancer drugs, so as they start that journey in the clinic, to work out are they safe and who might they work in so that you can treat the right patient with the right drug. You know, you don't want to treat patients where it's less likely to work because of the potential side effects we have. So those are the sort of trials that we do and that what the foundation has helped fund is the infrastructure to do that and then within that infrastructure we get in other funding to cover the trials. I'm part of a, a, a team here, and, and Sir Bobby knew that, it, that that he saw this as a team, and he was to, to raise the money. He felt he was managing a team again. He said, "But I'm part of a team that looks for new cancer drugs, and that starts back with the science in the lab, understanding what's gone wrong with the cancer cell, why is it growing out of control, why is it spreading, and then can we target that to get rid of it and kill it?" 
And then you've got teams of medicinal chemists when you found a potential target making a drug that you know might suit that. And then there's the point at which you've got to work out, can we do this safely in the clinic? And with cancer drugs, that's completely different to other disease areas because you can't really ask healthy volunteers to take doses of cancer drugs, whereas a new blood pressure drug, you could ask a healthy volunteer to take one or two doses. So we do studies in patients, even when we're working out dose and side effects. So there's a lot we don't know about the drug by then, and we as a unit would do what are called first-in-human studies, where you really are the first time a drug is given to a human being. And patients for those studies are patients who have got a tumour and know it and have run out of treatment options and therefore are prepared after a, we do a lot of discussing and you know to make sure that they, they know exactly what we're asking of them. They're prepared to take a drug where we're unsure about side effects, dose and chance of response. The fact that they actually understand other people and want to help other people is, is part of sort of what, the way mum and dad are. Um, and therefore it's so humbling and fulfilling that, that, that you come across their stories and you meet them. Um, it makes you just, yeah, it makes you want to carry on and keep the whole thing going. And we, we're very clear with them what the odds are. And, and you know, because you don't want to peddle false hope, really. You want to be really clear with people about all the uncertainties. And people in clinic will say to me, well, there's nothing else, I've nothing to lose. And they have. None of us know how much time we've got, but some people know it's limited in a much clearer way than the rest of us do. And they give up time. And if we give them side effects, they've lost because that would be otherwise better quality time that they might have had with their family. So it is a really big ask, but that is how we get new cancer drugs. One, to be told you've got cancer, and two, to be told that, you know, that it is a real threat to your life and or you might ultimately succumb to it, to then agree to undergo a trial which the, the percentage of it being success is very low, the knock-on effect that will have for people down down the years. I mean, that, that's, that's incredible, the power of the human spirit to do that when you've... I mean, the treatment itself is... is is, is very, very difficult. Just from speaking to people who've undergone chemotherapy, radiotherapy, the, the, treat, the treatment itself is improving, but still the toll that it takes on the body is, is severe. And then to then go through that on top of everything else with a realistic goal that it's not gonna help you, it's gonna help other people is, is wonderful. And, and you know, th those people deserve every bit of credit they get. Their families must be incredibly proud of them and the long-term benefit for people, however far down the line that comes, then those people deserve to be remembered and rightly so. It started with an idea in the clinic and went through all that process and we, before we moved here, because of the timelines, treated the first patient in the world ever to get what is now an established class of cancer drugs. And this particular one is, is now licensed and we would hope is going to go through the NICE approval process fairly soon to become available for UK patients and is, will then be available worldwide. So that's what we try and do and that's the team effort as well. Um, the Bobby Robson unit is that clinical beginning of a drug's pathway. When I treated Sir Bobby, 
the sort of tumour he had didn't have good treatment options. So I told him what I did about trials and he said, well, that's fine, that's for me as well. And he said that in his final book, he went for a trial. He said there wasn't a decent standard treatment. So I went for a trial and he, he did do very well, um, you know, in, initially with what we treated him with. So, uh, but he always knew what the score was and he knew what everybody else that I look after of patients gets that this is how new drugs are developed and if it doesn't help you maybe it helps somebody else and for for most of our patients they say that and say yeah that you know I accept that that's how these things come but you can't ask people to do that that's just one of the consequences we're trying to treat patients with better treatments. How are you doing there? It is David from the David McWilliams podcast, and this is a Staycast from Acast. We're all following the government's advice right now. We're staying in. It's a little bit cocooning, but it's all working. So while you're staying at home, here's a recommendation of another great podcast. It's the Blind Boy podcast. He's an old mate. He's a great skin. He has extraordinarily interesting views of the world. Check it out. So that was Ruth Plummer explaining exactly what she does within the foundation. But what about the woman herself and what she's achieved over the last 11 years? As with most of Sir Bobby's footballing sides, he had a great captain leading his team. And it's fair to say Ruth Plummer was his final one. I mean, I hope, first of all, I hope she's incredibly proud because, as you say, it couldn't have happened without her. She was the person who had the idea, who had the sort of... um, not the cheek, maybe that's the wrong word, but sort of who 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 certainly didn't care about Bobby's reputation, didn't wasn't scared to ask him, or if she was, she didn't. Um, it didn't stop her from doing it. So I kind of, you know, I really admire her for that, and of course I admire her for the for the day to day job that she does. Um, you know, really, really properly extraordinary. If Professor Plummer asks you to do something, you do it. She's just that to- that sort of that sort of person you can imagine you know you can see how proud she is in the work that's going on and how determined she is and she you know she got I'm sure Sir Bobby didn't need much persuading to get involved but Professor Plummer you know that she's very humble as well about you know the money that's been raised is incredible and the work that is done in there is brilliant and you couldn't really have anybody better um, to lead such such a brilliant unit and our, our team are, are exceptional and I think that's fitting from the leadership that she provides as well. But she's, uh, yeah, she's. Uh, whenever you see her and she asks you to do something, you do, you don't hesitate. She's uh, she's brilliant, and we're lucky to have her. She's the one who pulls the medical side of it all together, and believe me, it's quite something. It's quite substantial now with lots of um, uh, partnerships and, and scientists and consultants and nurses and doctors and everything. So it's a huge, huge task. Um, and as well as running the centre, she's always having to write reports and, and, and had go away on on trips and do, you know, make speeches and attend meetings all over the world, really. So she's an incredible lady. And um, I mean, Dad has a legacy and Mum has a legacy. Um, but I think Ruth's, um, Ruth's done a, such a great job. And, um, you know, she should be so proud of herself. And we're thankful to her. And um, in a way... It's becoming part of her her legacy. I know she won't. I know she's um, a very quiet lady, but um, she should be very proud. You know, we're very lucky the foundation to have to have sort of 
really exceptional people associated with it, all of them giving, you know, giving their time and efforts uh, for free. Um, and, uh, you know, Ruth has, is the prime mover in it all. So, yeah, she got Bobby into it and she, that means she got all of us into it in, in some way. And, my God, I'm glad she did. She should feel immensely proud of it. I hope she does. We're very proud of her. It's my job. I'm incredibly privileged to have a job that I love. I have a fantastic team of really loyal staff who absolutely get what we're trying to do and are always out to go the extra mile on that. You know, even when we do open days to explain to patients what we do, they're in on Saturdays to help with that and and it's seen as it's fun and it's what we do. Um, So it is just my job. We've achieved so much, but it wouldn't have happened without the fundraising. And as Sir Bobby said, you know, we did have some large donations but most of the fundraising for the foundation that incredible total has been the man on the street as he said the old codger who gave him 10 pounds to put in his pocket at a football match that's where we got it from So I started running for the Sir Bobby Robson Foundation in 2014. I did the Great North Run that year and I've done it every year since amongst a number of other runs as well. And I started running at that time because my partner was ill in hospital with a cancer-related illness. My name's Alison and I'm a PhD student at Newcastle University. At the time when Craig was ill, I really just wanted to try and do something to help somebody because I couldn't really do a great deal for him other than be there with him at the time when he needed me while he was getting his treatment and he was in hospital. But I think at the time uh, I was just thinking, what can I do and who could I support? And I thought about some of the bigger national charities and then I thought actually it would be nice to do something for a local charity as an alternative. I'm a Newcastle season ticket holder and like everybody else in the region and of course across the world was always a big fan of Sir Bobby and followed his career and was as amazed by him as everyone else was and that became a consideration so I thought I could maybe do something for the Sir Bobby Robson Foundation. Craig was somebody who was very kind, generous, thoughtful kind of person, would do anything for anyone and he'd spent most of his working life working with people who were vulnerable to try and support them in some shape or form, that was always his goal. He'd say it sounded really cheesy but he just wanted to make a difference and that's what he spent his life doing really. It's been a a great thing to be able to do, to be part of the, the run every year and at the end I always go to the Sir Bobby Robson Foundation tent which is such a lovely experience as well, where his family are giving out teas and coffees and having a chat with everyone. Such a lovely atmosphere and it really makes you feel part of something. It's it's one of the reasons that I actually keep running for the foundation. I I love that at the end to be part of that atmosphere and just to enjoy being around everybody else who's gone through the same thing that day. And it's given me an opportunity to hopefully try and give something back and hopefully stop anybody else going through what we had to go through by potentially detecting and the cancer earlier and improving treatment as well for people in the future. Sir Bobby Robson loved to meet those fundraising for the foundation and in his final few months despite his failing health continued to do so. It was an amazing test of character and for George Calkin, a good friend and a man who wrote Sir Bobby's final book with him, he saw it first hand. Firstly as a football person um, I followed him to Langley Park Infant School, which is uh, which is where he went many years earlier. So he was um, he was always a very aspirational figure 
to me in my early life and then obviously Italia 90 when he was England manager uh, had a huge influence on me both as someone from the northeast after a very difficult decade of sort of industrial strife in the northeast and feeling like we were being left to rot a little bit here was this incredible northeasterner with this team full of northeast talent doing wonderful things on the on the world stage um, he then became Newcastle manager and uh, he did a column for the for the Times, which was uh, where I worked at the time, and I took that on. And uh, so we developed a, a good relationship, good working relationship. Gradually, that turned into into friendship. And um, I ghost wrote his last his last book. And uh, finally, he was a he was a friend. And then when he um, when he died, I was asked by Lady Elsie to become a patron of the foundation, which I can I can safely say is the is the most proud I've I've ever felt about anything, and so it's difficult to sort of encapsulate all that into a couple of sentences. But um, you know, he meant he meant everything to us. In those eighteen months that Shababi um, got his diagnosis, I mean, one thing that stood out was was his humour. Um, you, you know, like you say, he wasn't going to let it get, get get him down. He was he was going to keep fighting. Um, just how important do you think that humour was? I mean, like, so you wrote the book with him. Um, just how important was that hu- humour in, in the fight against what turned out to be his, his final battle? Yeah, I mean, I don't think we should shy away from the fact to say that he, there were some real low moments in that in that period. Of course, there were. Um, how could there not be? And it's certainly, you know, certainly wouldn't be true to say that he just glided through that glided through that time laughing and joking and thinking everything was great because he didn't um, but at the same time he did have a lightness of spirit about him and he did have this absolutely ferocious love of life and um, you know that was that defined him, that absolutely defined him and so it didn't become you know the country itself wasn't the defining part about him and so he was a he was a hilarious man he was um incredibly funny and but but sort of more more than that i think more special than that was he just did have this quality that rubbed off on you so you know i've said this before but he had this sort of stardust that was attached to him and that would kind of rub off on you when you spent time with him and you would come away with kind of some sort of glow um, you know, he just did have that presence about him, um, and uh, you know, a, a, a beautiful man he was. Even when he was really poorly, because we weren't the only thing. He kept his charity work; it was really important to him. But he didn't boast about it for years and years. He and his family had supported a, an orphanage out in Portugal, and they went out once a year to do a big fundraiser, and it was coming up, and he was pretty poorly, and I think. Two or three times, Lady Elsie brought him into the unit and said, look, can you talk to him about this? This is probably not sensible. So I was, you know, tried to explain to him that I thought probably his flying out to Portugal, how he was, might not be a wise decision. All he did is he went and he texted me when he got there to say you were wrong. I've got here fine, it wasn't a problem. And, And he came back. But, you know... That's who he was. And I think that's why, you know, it's that character and that care in the man and the care for other people has what has meant that the foundation has become such an incredible legacy because the North East people in particular, but actually everywhere he worked, um, saw that and understood that. 
when I wrote his last book, which was it was a book about Newcastle, the the club and the city, um, he was poorly. He was he was very poorly then, and um, that process was was very difficult. Just to sort of go off on a tangent slightly, and he he had this sort of personality where you would spend time with him and even though he was he was failing his body was failing you would come away from it and feel kind of better about yourself um because he had that he just had that kind of giving personality he had that sort of um he had that sort of sparkle of stardust about it it kind of clung on to you and that was that was very difficult because he was dying he was dying of cancer and um Doing that book was made me sort of appreciate what what he was going through a lot more, and I decided I wanted to give my fee for that to his charity. And I'm not saying that to make myself sound great; it was just that that became important to me. And the fact is that he sort of wore his suffering very lightly. And although he had cancer five times, he was never def- he was never kind of defined by it. When we we had the big meeting at the Copthorne and he launched it, he said, "I'm giving up a year to do this." And when it got to a year and we had the money and we knew the unit was going to be open, I said to him, you know, so that was... He said, no, no, he says, we're not stopping now. He actually gave it the rest of his life. Um, so from it launched in March 2008 and he died the, the following year in the July. And he just he became completely absorbed and really incredibly passionate about the foundation. And he, he was very proud, rightly so, that even though he was very ill, at that time, he never missed a meeting. He never missed this. Uh, and there were a lot of meetings, obviously, to discuss things with the foundation. Never missed a meeting. Never missed a, an event. If he said he was attending an event for the foundation, he was there. He, he, even though he was ill, he, he, his commitment was staggering. For him, the, the, the foundation became the most important part of his life. So, he, you know, he had this extraordinary career zigzagging across Europe and you know my god the stuff he did at Ipswich is a story in itself and then and then England um and and then that amazing you know amazing sort of Indian Indian summer back at Newcastle which I'll always remember uh, remember with kind of huge huge fondness but he saw the foundation as the most important part of his life and you know he referred to it as his his last and greatest team to be able to manage a team again, I think, was just right up his street at, 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 at the perfect time. Um, so then he sort of raised the question, did he have the strength to do it? And whenever I look back on, on Dad's career, he must have been, well, he was, I know, but he must have been an incredibly strong person. Well, I was lucky enough to uh, to work with him, so I was aware of um, his character, how tough he was, um, how much he loved this area, uh, and when he set his mind to something that it was, he was determined to do a good job. You know, we are defined by our rivalry a lot of the time, and it, sometimes that feels like the biggest thing of all. But of course, when it comes to industry, when it comes to geography, when it comes to so many things, to sort of our ge- you know our geographical isolation, you know, blah blah blah, all that, we have so many things that tie us together, and certainly character is something that ties us together the way we deal with hardship and the way we look after each other <sighs> I'm sorry the and Bobby represented that in a way which I find incredibly moving even now 
and the way that people can do sort of extraordinary things in his name even now. Um, he represented something far bigger than himself and um, to even sort of be part of that in a small way is, um, you know, it's the most important thing. It's the most important thing to me. No, that's right. That took me a bit surprised. In his final few months, Sir Bobby gained so much strength from the love and affection received from the general public, and that was no more shown than on the 26th of July, 2009. We, we looked at one of the photographs in this on the in the football corridor. Is that photograph of Sir Bobby in his wheelchair at St James's Park for the Sir Bobby Robson Trophy in 2009? And that was a recreation of um, that famous night in Turin in 1990. And it was amazing, it was a really beautiful occasion, but we didn't know if he was gonna make it because he was so ill. So we didn't know whether he would be able to attend it or not. And he did, and how he did it, I don't know. I mean, that is superhuman strength. I mean, I know he died just a few days after that and, and he didn't leave the house again. And yet he still did that. And and he still talked to people, and he, he I don't know how he did it. I really don't. And I know that he I talked to Sir Bobby's family, and I know that he was in pain that day. But it was something that he said he was going to do, so he did it. It was four days before he died, I think. So he 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 was categorically told not to go, but he was um, he wouldn't have it. I mean, he could, couldn't speak, um, but he wouldn't have it. He was gritting gritting his fingernails and his, his clenched fists and uh, even though he couldn't speak to us on the day before we were telling him he can't go but he was uh, digging his thumb into his hand you know and we could tell he was gripping hard and uh, he, he was telling us he wanted to go so so we did our, did our best and we got him all strapped up and in and, and off to the game and um, I'm glad I'm so glad we did uh, I think he was in a lot of pain uh, incredible amount of pain and discomfort, but he didn't didn't show it. Um, so um, yeah, and I don't think he could see very well either. But he, he shook everyone's hand, or um, and that that was a very um, incredibly moving moment. Uh, um, I'm glad we did it for him because he did want to go, and he, he was such a strong person anyway that he he, he managed it. Um, and yeah, very proud moment. I do, yeah, I do remember the last time I spoke to him was at the Sir Bobby Robson Trophy at St James's, and he was he was really poorly. And I, I remember talking to him just before he went out onto the pitch, and he had to be pushed out, obviously in a wheelchair. Um, and Ness and Dorma was being sung. hairs on the back of your neck it was beautiful and I remember he spoke to my mum who was at the game my mum was at the game and she spoke to him on his way out and, and she said you know I'm Liz Luff's mum and he said uh, he said you know you must be very proud so even at that moment he was still big upping the people that are on his team around him you know to other people and I can hardly think about that without getting tears in my eyes it was uh, 
it was it was just a remarkable man. I keep saying that, but he genuinely was. He was lovely. I remember, I vividly remember the, the charity match because my son, my eldest son, James, was six and I went to speak to Sabobi. He was sitting in his wheelchair right in the middle as you come out and I went to speak to him and he was clearly very, very poorly. And uh, I mentioned my son was there and he said, where is he? And I just pointed back to my right where he was and he said, tell him to come down. So James was, you know, only six at the time and he briefly spoke to Sabobi and then... Sadly, just I think it was three days later. I think the first football match my children had ever been to, um, and and he'd said he would like to see me at half time, and we went up to to the box where he was, and Lady Elsie said to me, "But we won't be back," and uh, they knew how poorly he was, and yeah, I think she she said to me that it was his finest ever performance. Um, was he enjoying the game, and what was he what was he like? He was, yeah, he wasn't rude about anybody's playing at the so I do, because he did laugh that he thought he found the only oncologist who knew nothing about football. All I can say is I learned everything I know about football from Sir Bobby Robson, so it was taught quite well. But no, he, he was enjoying the game and he'd, he'd gone to enjoy, you know, and to do it. He was very clear that he wanted to be there. Yeah, that sort of summed, that sort of summed him up. Um, uh, that him wanting to be there as, as much as everyone else, um, he wanted to say thank you to uh, to everyone, and uh, he was determined as, as anyone has ever known. So um, it didn't surprise me that he wanted to be there, and it was such a successful night. Yeah, I find it very difficult to talk about that, actually. So I was there, and I was sitting just behind him, and. Um, Obviously, he wasn't well, and um, I sort of thought to myself, "Do I go and do I go and say hello? Do I go and ask how he is?" And I sort of thought, "Well, no. I think I think today's a bit a bit overwhelming. I'm sure it's overwhelming for him. I'll just I'll wait. I'll wait, and I'll you know I'll send him a text, or I'll you know give him a ring, and you know I'll wait for a day or two, and." Um, Obviously, it wasn't it wasn't possible to do that. I sort of look back on it with regret because I wish I could have said goodbye. But I, I, I know he knows what he meant to me. I hope he does. Sarah's got the headlines. I'm going to start with some breaking news. In the last few minutes, it's been confirmed Sir Bobby Robson has died. The former England and Newcastle manager had been battling cancer. It comes less than a week after a special charity match at St James's Park in honour of his cancer charity. We were at the training ground when the news broke, when it came on, came on, came on Sky, and you know I brought, I, you know, it just it was a few of us and broke down crying because that's the that's the effect he, he had on us as well, and the fact that he had the strength. Just a few days before he died, to to um, to, go, to go along and fulfil a commitment of that game was amazing, and the club were very good. Um, you know, they got a bouquet of flowers, which I think myself and Shola took out into the middle of the pitch, and you know, he, he makes you he makes you smile. I still quote him almost almost daily as well. That was the, that was the brilliance of the man. When Dad passed, we didn't know what we would do with the foundation. Um, 
uh, we knew Dad would want us to carry on, but we didn't know how the fundraising would go. I remember after he, after he, uh, Sir Bobby died very quickly, Lady Elsie um, decided that this was something that the family, as a family, wanted to continue. Because at, at that point, if they had decided, you know, you know what, it's 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 been a great, it's been great. We've done some good here and things, but we want to take a step back. It would have been entirely understandable. I mean, she asked to come and speak to me within a few days of his having died to say she and and the three boys wanted to keep the foundation going. And I said to her that you know, it, it's very early to and you know whenever it's right for you but she's been absolutely adamant right from that early stage that that's what she wanted to do and because she's up here you know she has remained so involved she and Liz go to I mean I've been to a number but they go to lots of things together and she just laughs and she'll go anywhere to you know to do things one of the lovely memories for me was 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 you know within a few months of his dying um Radio 5 Live were up to do the Great North Run and asked to do, Gabby Logan asked to do a live broadcast from the unit and um, the BBC converted us into a mini studio and I think that's one of the first live interviews that she ever gave and we've still got, I've still got lovely images of her and a number of our patients sitting there with the big floppy headphones on just getting on with it and telling telling she she's telling them why we what we did mattered but also the patients telling them why what they felt we did mattered and that meant for lady elsie sort of stepping into the limelight which is not somewhere she's particularly comfortable but she's she you know she's challenged herself and she does this and uh, we have support from fantastic patrons who help you know niall quinn alan shearer steve gibson and steve harper and george culkin and and people who help with that side of things for Lady Elsie and do the public face and role a, a bit. This is her legacy as well and she would always she would always say this is Bobby it's it's Bobby and she's very um, she's very unassuming but um, she's a strong independent can be ferocious woman takes no nonsense but she's also lovely and um, you know this that, that has a lot of the same characteristics as Bobby and she's the person that keeps it keeps it together it all hangs around her and um she's been she's been incredible for the foundation she could easily have got to you know a certain amount of money and thought okay that's enough doesn't need the hassle in her life and all that but not a no not a bit of it quite the opposite wants to keep it going mom's now sort of 85 now and yet she's totally totally committed uh, as she was 10 years ago uh, to, to this day and it's given her a new purpose I think a new a new zest for life and I think when you have that focus you you, you just you, it gives you the strength to carry on and, and you brush aside, brush aside small issues and, and, and um, she loves meeting the fundraisers uh, she's obviously determined to carry on dad's legacy and she you know she, she came from uh, the same village as uh, the Langley Park, and what defined Dad defined Mom really. Uh, same sort of um, beliefs and understanding of helping, of wanting to help others and understanding other people. Sir Bobby himself had cancer five times, which much must have been incredibly difficult for Lady Elsie as well as him. And the fact that they have that strength and determination between them, when ultimately Sir Bobby did succumb to it. That's just typical of Lady Elsie that she said, this goes on. She knows that's what Sir Bobby would have wanted and it would have been... Any any loss must be difficult, but the fact that she made the decision so quickly 
is, is testament to her strength, their strength, and she knows that, well, she will be incredibly proud, as will the boys will be. But you know that Sir Bobby will be as well. He'll be, uh, you know, he'll be up there looking down, feeling incredibly proud. Shortly after he died, um, Lady Elsie asked me to to be kind of become a patron, which you know, I said was uh, certainly the biggest thrill and biggest biggest honour of of my life. Um, even now, I sort of struggle to can struggle struggle to believe that 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 sort of happened. And um, oh, it's, I'm just so proud. And really, it's it's an honorary thing. It doesn't mean I have to do sort of any work or anything like that. But it does give me a chance to sort of go to meetings and meet fundraisers and get to see what the foundation does. We've got some fantastic patrons um, and all you know certainly the local ones have been on the unit on a regular basis both supporting the foundation um you know coming to events and it it is it is great because it it shows that that commitment is you know in that in the football community is ongoing that you know the charity work as well as the game is a really important part to so many they're all part of the team, really. They, they, they. Without them, you know, we wouldn't be where we are. And uh, so, you know, some of them obviously are very busy people, but they always, always, always have time for us, and always, uh, they, you know, they're quick on the responses, and they're only pleased, too pleased to help. What do you think he would think now if he could see that there was thirteen and a half million pounds raised? He would. He, for me, for me, all this. He would be. He would just be absolutely. Um, he would be absolutely blown away. He, and again, he had that. You know, he was a tough man, but he did have that wide-eyed kind of feeling about life, you know, that he wasn't cynical. He didn't have that same cynicism that I certainly have um, sometimes, but he he would just be staggered. He would be staggered by anybody doing anything in his name, but the fact that, you know, all this time later people are still doing extraordinary things in his name and his memory would just, would just absolutely... Um, it would mystify him a bit and it would also it would blow him away. I think even himself wouldn't have thought that it could achieve what it's achieving. That's his legacy and he wanted to leave something very special behind and he has. His football legacy was incredible, but I think he would be equally, if not more, proud of this because he touched he touched, you know, thousands, millions of lives. He would he would shake his head in disbelief without without doubt. Because I think so so such a long part of his life was to do with football. But I think looking back now and I sort of try and think and assess it every day football is just like one one detail of his being his actual legacy is, is found in, in in other people now and and so he'd be yeah hugely proud of that aspect i mean i remain very touched and honored that sir bobby and lady elsie decided to do this i mean for me it's been an incredible uh, 10 years of 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 opportunities we've been given we thought we wouldn't get and things that we've been able to do and to then get a drug that we've developed licensed and another one coming along is really exciting because we now know that what we put in has been a vital piece of the jigsaw to make better treatments happen for cancer patients so that has been absolutely great. It's been a great 10 years I mean obviously there have been low points because Sir Bobby was ill and he knew he was ill 
and but also you know I still look after patients where things do not work out and there are those highs and lows but overall we can see that what he's set up is now making a difference for cancer patients. It, it did become a friendship um, because we, you know, he and, and continues with Lady Elsie. Yeah, he was really important to me and really important to the unit. And it was an extremely sad day when he died. Cancer doesn't discriminate. No one is immune from it. Whilst I will be remembered because of my life through football, the legacy that I would prefer to be remembered by is the fact that I raised some money, which in time and in turn will save lives. This has been Sir Bobby Robson versus Cancer his final fight and the legacy left behind. Interviews and narration carried out by me, Andrew Musgrove, editing and production by Edward Sayers. This has been an Everything is Black and White podcast production brought to you by Chronicle Live. With special thanks to everyone who we spoke to, Alison Jane, Liz Luff, Professor Ruth Plummer, Steve Harper, George Colkin, Mark Robson and Alan Shearer. We'd also like to pay special thanks to BBC Newcastle, and the newer media group makers of Bobby Robson more than a manager. This is Acast Recommends. Every week, we pick one of our favourite shows, and this is one we think you're going to love. Hello, I'm Jeff Lloyd, and I recently had a baby with Ed Miliband. A baby podcast, that is. It's a spin-off of our show, Reasons to be Cheerful. It's called Cheerful Book Club, and it's conversations with some of the best writers working in the world today. You'll really enjoy our chats with people like US broadcasting legend Rachel Maddow, literary giant Ian McEwan, and the big short and moneyball author Michael Lewis. Feed your brain with ideas from the Cheerful Book Club. You'll find us on the excellent Acast app or wherever else you get your podcasts. Acast is home to the biggest podcasts from Ireland and around the world. Subscribe to this show and hundreds more now via Acast or wherever you get your podcasts.